You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Are you a diehard comic book collector? Or maybe a lapsed fan? Maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life. Hi, I'm Remso Martinez. And I'm Mark Clare. Every single Wednesday at the Second Print Comics Podcast, Remzo and I take a deep dive into the storylines, character arcs, moments, and events that made us the fans we are today. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics Podcast at secondprintcomics.com. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. So where are you recording your stuff right now? In a closet in the bathroom because because that's the like least echoey spot in the in the entire apartment that I'm in. Dude, when I started recording the first podcast like years and years ago, people don't believe me when I said I did it in my college dorm. It was literally like on my desk and most of the time my brother would be in our he was my roommate my senior year his freshman year he would be on the top bunk playing grand theft auto right next to me (laughs) and then you would have my other roommate on the other side of the wall because i lived in kind of like a quad so it was like three dorms and a living space and a kitchen and you would hear like the guy on the other side of the wall like viciously masturbating oh great (laughs) so to go from that to my parents basement and at one point, I had like a studio space that was being rented for uh, this one gig I was doing. To then back in the basement, to then the Washington Times radio studio that they never let me use, to then the basement, <laughs> to now my own apartment. I can get over the echo of my living room. Yeah, it's just my office, we have concrete floors on our apartments so like insulating it has just been the biggest pain in my ass to try to like to just try to cut it back even remotely um so you know the closet it is between your last podcast and doing profiles and liberty and we'll just count the the second print comics uh you know disney plus recaps we've been doing for like falcon winter soldier and stuff did was it was it kind of rusty getting back into it? Like having to realize, oh, now I have to soundproof. Oh, now I need to make sure my mic is good. Oh, now yeah. I need to make sure I do video. Everything is nice and, you know, I look decent at least. You know, I mean, I, I probably got back into it um, sooner or, or like easier than, than I thought I was going to. Um, but there was a little bit of a, of a like relearning curve to it because there was like, okay, what, what am I doing again? How, how, how do these, how do all these like softwares and, and all these uh, different instruments work? And, and I don't remember if I'm actually uh, capable of doing this anymore, but fortunately I was, uh, <laughs> for, for all my listeners, that's, uh, that's a good thing. Um, and, and it, I worked it out pretty quickly. For for the longest time, I've thought that my show now is worse quality than the first one. And then people are like, wow, it's like you've improved so much. And honestly, I've changed like maybe one or two things. And I'm like, yes, I've put so much work into it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Well, it's just your, uh, it's, it's less uh, political now. So that's how it's, how it's improved. Right. I think it's because I don't sound like much of an asshole. Their listening right. experience is like way, way better. And I, I've tried to I've tried to get back to basics when, when it comes to a lot of things. Like I, I stopped having fun with the first show. I mean that that's the big thing. It stopped being fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I was making money off of it. I was getting like way 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 more downloads on things. But like when you're not having fun, people can really tell. And when it just feels more like a burden than something you actually feel you're propelled to do, like you're inspired to do the next thing, you should probably stop. And I'm not even just saying just quit. Maybe sometimes you have to do that. But I mean, usually taking a break is something I have a hard time doing. And that's I completely, yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same way. Uh, I, I, my, my problem, uh, oftentimes is that I don't know, uh, when, like for my own like personal health, like uh, in a lot of areas, like when I should reach a stopping point. Um, and that's, that's kind of what happened uh, with my last show with my Liberty. It just kind of, um, it, it didn't have like a finale or, or anything like that. It just kind of stopped, stopped happening because there was just like a lot going on at the time. Um, it was right around COVID like starting and, and, you know, getting kicked off and everything. Um, it's hard to it, talk about freedom when people are like, you're killing grandma. It, it also just got, uh, it started to get really repetitive. Um, and I didn't feel like, uh, I was, I was putting in as much, uh, originality. I felt like I was running dry of, of ideas and, and things like that. Um, and to your point, you know, there was a certain like level of like, well, I, I don't know if I'm like actually having fun with this or it's just like something that I do each week. Um, whereas, whereas with this show, this is where my passion is, or at least it's one of my passions, um, is, is with history, um, especially with, uh, regards to the founding fathers, uh, that's what this whole season has has been about. It's been about the uh, signing uh, signers of the Declaration of Independence and telling their stories. And you know, some of this, I've, I I did some shows like that on the Liberty, and um, and those were some of the most fun episodes that I did. They were super research heavy. They were I had pages and pages of notes that I was constantly referring back to when I was recording and everything. But it felt so good and it felt like such a like quality episode every time I did an episode like that. Um, so, I, it, you know, it kind of came to a point earlier this year, you know, kind of towards uh, around probably February or March. I, I had been toying with the idea of bringing back the Liberty um, for quite some time. But then I, I realized, like, I, I don't think I want to bring it back, but I do want to re- I, I do want to start recording again. I do want to podcast again. Um, and there, and there's history, something about, history was the best way to do that. So. Yeah, I mean, there's something about having, like, a clean start sometimes there is, that allows yeah. you to really move into where you feel comfortable. Because, like, I had, I had rebranded Remso Republic into the Remso Martinez experience, and that was like what what was funny was like download wise that that did good topic wise it really kind of paved the way for where i wanted to go with what i'm doing now mm-hmm. but there was something about going back and seeing you know the the hundreds of episodes that came before it and thinking if somebody goes back and listens to that on this feed 
are they gonna or, or, or is is it is it going to kind of damage whatever potential relationship I could have because I was a much different person. Don't get me wrong. You yeah. can go back and listen to that. I've got years of myself in public and writing and interviews and books and shows and stuff. Yeah, so same, like, same year. Can, yeah. I know? mean, you can see the progression, <laughs> but like with this one, it's like when episode one started, it felt like, okay, this is a whole different phase now. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I completely agree uh, on, on my side as well. And it, it helps that the format for me is entirely different, not just the subject matter, because obviously the last one, it was kind of a hodgepodge, like a, a smorgasbord of, of all sorts of different uh, episodes where I had like interviews some weeks I had just solo like monologues some weeks, uh, some weeks I had history shows and, and yada yada. Whereas this is like, it's all just me uh, doing the recordings. It's scripted. Um, I, I really, I, I forget who, who said it, uh, and probably a few people have said this, but like when you, when you really start to just make your show all about your guests, uh, unless you're like Joe Rogan or someone like that, someone people already know, then they're not tuning in for you. They're tuning in for your guest. And, you know, there is some merit to bringing on a big guest and, and boosting your show out there and everything like that. But you, you also want people to tune in because they like your show, not because they want to hear whatever your guest is, is saying. And it's just like a one and done. So thinking on that, that really helps solidify as well kind of the direction that I was going to take this. Yeah, and I mean, what, what I like about your show versus a lot of the other history podcasts that I listen to is that uh, I actually listen to yours all the way through, and I can't go th- get through a lot of others because yours is yours is really telling a story. It's more narrative driven, mm-hmm. and and that kind of keeps me going. It's more like listening to an audio book in, in a positive way. Yeah, because that's yeah. how I like how, that's how I like my audio books typically. Like a because, chapter in in an audio book. Yeah, yeah, because it's like I stopped reading fiction a while ago and. Like it's because something just stopped kind of connecting with me, but I'm listening to more fictional, you know, audio books now. Like I'm listening to East of Eden by John Steinbeck and there's something about it now. Whereas like I read it, I read like a couple chapters years ago and it's a big ass book and now I'm <laughs> listening to it now and like I'm, I'm, I'm retaining a lot more of it. And, you know, I love the fact that this is history. So at least I can say I'm benefiting from it. Not yes. that I have a problem yeah. with fiction, but because I, I like to balance it out. Because when I get into fiction, I, I dive really you know far into it when it's something I really like. But um, you know something something that I've really tried to think about recently because on the run is really about trying to find what makes you happy again. It's about you know understanding that the journey matters as much as the destination. And uh, something you. Stephen Kent and I have in common is what he called a peculiar work ethic. One time we were grabbing <laughs> beer in, in Manassas and like, he just looked at me, he's like, Grim, so where'd you kind of get that like ethic of, of your work standard? Because I'm pretty sure I ranted for like 45 minutes about how to properly like draft a book or something. And he just kind of like stared at me like he's going to keep going if I don't shut him up. And, um, you know, as I, as I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm engaged now uh, she wants to do a wedding. I just want to fucking elope and have fun. 
But, you know, I'm at the stage of my life now where things are different. I'm, I'm starting to think about things I wouldn't otherwise think of. And as I think of the possibility of perhaps having children in the future, I, I want them not to live my life again, especially since the world is changing so much. But I want them to have a basis in which they could be stronger and more confident individuals. And as I really go back and think about it, like... Um, the one thing that you have that Steve and I don't have is that you actually became an Eagle Scout. And, you know, I would, of course, I would love my child to become an Eagle Scout if I have a son. That would yeah. be fucking awesome because I could say, finally, one of us did it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, as I look back at my childhood, I try and think of what are some of the things that he can have that I had and vice versa. And it's like, scout, scouting's a big thing. Now, scouting has changed from when we did it. Growing it up, sure has, yeah. In some yeah, ways, I, you know, I'm trying to find the polite way to say it. Like, I, I, I think in some ways it's gotten better because it's, you know, it's it's more widely accessible to a lot more kids. It used to be just a, like a suburban kid thing. Now it's actually expanding out to like inner cities and you know other communities. Um, but at the same time, it's like it's it's also gotten much worse. Um, you know, we could talk about like the, the jokes about Scoutmaster sexual assault abuse scandals and stuff, and then letting, um, you know, women into Boy Scouts and all that stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, like there are other things out there. Like there's that Trail Life USA thing, which is basically Boy Scouts before all that. It's just basically, it's yeah. like, you know, it's like if we're talking like crypto, it's like the fork of Boy Scouts. It's like, okay, <laughs> this ain't working. We're going we're gonna to go do that. There was Civil Air Patrol, which, which I did, and, you know, built up my confidence to join the Army afterwards. But, like, you know, it wasn't as fun as I remember Scouts being. It was a lot less, you know, it was a lot more disciplined. I had great opportunities, but, like, it wasn't scouting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that turns off more people than scouting. So I don't know if I would necessarily want my kid to go in the Civil Air Patrol. But like, you know, I, I think there's something about it that a lot of people don't understand. I think a lot of people, when they look at, you know, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, they think this is where you dump your kid for an hour a week so you can go and get some sleep or do some other stuff. But really, I think what people forget is that it's one of the few opportunities, especially now where we're just constantly in front of technology and so much stuff that we had to do ourselves are being done by others or through automation or other things that it might be one of the few remaining relics of an era where you had to think and solve problems yourself and sometimes be uncomfortable. So I, I kind of want to start from the top. How did you get into scouting and, and really, um, you know, where were you at the beginning of it? And as you went along to get your Eagle Scout award, which is not an easy thing to do, what was that journey like? Well, you know, I, I was in it like from the beginning, really. Uh, this this was the thing that I did when, when I was a kid. And and this is like not an exaggeration. Um it's the best possible thing that could have ever happened to me at that stage of my life. Like it, those memories that I have um, are all of the best memories that I have from my childhood. Like it, it is without question. And I understand that some, you know, not, not every like scout troop is the same. Um, it, it, and, and that sucks because a lot of times, a lot of kids get kind of like the wrong impression of what it's supposed to be by the, the troop that you get in because it might not be, um, 
it might not be an active troop or, you know, the, the leaders and, you know, the adult leaders in it are maybe not in it for the right reasons, or, you know, they, they just have differing uh, ideas about what it means to be a scout or something like that. I, I didn't have any of those problems. I had one of the most like hyperactive scout troops in, in the tri-state area that I grew up in. Um, I, uh, we, uh, the adult leaders that we had were like, <laughs> it's, it, it got to a point to where the adult leaders almost like there were almost more adult leaders than there were scouts in the troop because of how many, uh, parents that were these like really like well-meaning parents that, um, that loved it just as much as we did. Uh, sometimes more so because they have the perspective of like what it was that we were actually doing. Um, and, and it, uh, all these, all these different people with these different experiences coming together to teach all these young men how to become young men. Uh, and, and I, I think that is, is really something that I, I wasn't really told, like, uh, not properly, I feel like. I wasn't really properly told, like, what's the point of all this? I just knew I liked it. I just knew I, I was having a ton of fun with it. A lot of my interests that carry on to today um, originated there, uh, whether it be outdoors, uh, camping, um, or history, uh, tons and tons of history stuff that, uh, that I learned through scouting. Um, and because we were, again, a very hyperactive troop and, and the scout leaders were, um, a little bit more politically inclined than, uh, than, than, than some other leaders may have been, but they, they like to get active about it. So we took, uh, 10 years ago, this, uh, this week, I think, um, we took this trip to, it was like an American heritage tour. And, and instead of like going to the standard summer camps, we kind of did our own thing and made our own summer camps. And it was just such an enriching experience where we went to like, uh, we went to like Philadelphia to Independence Hall and then uh, Fort McHenry. Uh, and then uh, we ended up in Washington, D.C., and that was like the first time I was in Washington, D.C. since I was in second grade, really. Um, and that was a time where I had like an experience of a lifetime where I got to lay a, a wreath on the tomb of the unknown soldier. It, because oh, wow. it, right after right after uh, it was about like two or three months right after I got my Eagle Scout. So like we had such a hyperactive troop that just gave me like the best possible experiences. Um, I, I feel bad a lot of times for, for a lot of other kids that don't have uh, the same kind of kind of lightning in the bottle uh, formula that our troop had. Um, but it's, it's, it's just something that you, you just got to get yourself into because um, if, if you, you know, cross off all the boxes where you have the right leaders and you have the right troop and you have the right kids involved, then it's, it's seriously for young men, probably the best thing that can possibly, you can possibly give them. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved, I loved Boy Scouts for the same reason why I succeeded in Civil Air Patrol. Now I got, uh, I, I started in Civil Air Patrol after I left Boy Scouts and I got my Mitchell Cadet Award, which is what happens when you become uh, you know, cadet second lieutenant. It's 
they, they say it's like the equivalent of an Eagle Scout, but it's really not because it doesn't have the same name recognition. Yeah. So even though they say it's equal, it's not. And uh, then you go, you can go on to become like a cadet colonel, and that's your spots cadet reward, which is like the top one percent of all cadets. Very few people got that. Just to get to Mitchell was was difficult. And when you got you know your Mitchell award, they made a big deal about it. I remember being really proud when I did that. But you know, I I had you know really a great scouting experience, and then a bad one because mm-hmm. like I started when I was uh, you know about. 10, 11 years old, I started in Weeblos as a Cub Scout. And that was like, you know, the, the woman who was our Scout Master, she was uh, this this Master Sergeant's wife at Fort Leavenworth, and she was addicted to it. Like, within a year, we all got our Arrow of Light, which is the Eagle Scout of Cub Scouts, but we also got our Heavy yeah. Shoulder Award, which is, we didn't even know it was a thing. So everyone else is just getting their arrow of light if they achieved it. And we got our heavy shoulder and we didn't even know what it was. She knew what it was and what we had to do. We thought we were just doing extra stuff. And next year we've got all the other stuff and that we, you know, we were able to carry that over to our Boy Scout uniform. So, you know, I, I transitioned from Cub Scouts to Boy Scouts. Our Boy Scout troop was awesome. Uh, did, did summer camp, did a bunch of stuff with them. Then I went to this, this Boy Scout troop in Texas outside of Fort Hood. And it was almost the exact opposite. Like the kids were like, you know, little, little crackheads. The parents had problems, like a bunch of alcoholics and stuff like that. And then what we did was we did this thing called Merit Badge University where we actually went to. Uh, yeah, we had that too. Yeah, we, we went to Baylor, uh, Baylor University, and we basically did a full day. And that was my first time ever walking on college campus. I did all the things over the next month because it was, you know, you go on a Saturday and you come back. So it took four weekends. I did everything to get like four or five merit badges completed. And the person who was in charge of documenting all our stuff was terrible at it. So nobody in the troop got their badges. Oh no. And after that, I was like, well, I'm done. And I kind of, you know, I kind of checked out and I I went to civil air patrol and I enjoyed my civil air patrol experience. It was great. I, I don't regret it at all, but it, it was always one of those things that bothered me because with with Boy Scouts, I always felt like there was a lot more leniency. And with, uh, with, with Civil Air Patrol, there was always more of a demand for perfection, which I don't think is necessarily unfair. But, you know, it's it, it there's a reason why you saw happy Boy Scouts and unhappy cadets. Yeah. And, yeah. Kids aren't, you know, kids that age aren't they're not ready to be soldiers necessarily. Like they're not ready for that disciplined lifestyle. They still want to go out and just have fun and, you know, just shoot the shit and, and break a bone or two and, you know, just do whatever, do whatever. But uh, no, I, I completely agree with that. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate that a lot of, um, a lot of troops don't follow the same kind of uh, template there. And sometimes it is kind of a crapshoot. And sometimes you do have to like pop around to, until you find, uh, until you find the right one. Um, but you know, once you do, it's it, whenever I was younger, I, I really didn't understand like, you know, whenever I would try to get like a friend or, or someone to like join me in, in scouts, and they were like, well, what can they offer that, you know, I don't already have, like I can go camping with my dad or I can go, 
you know, do this or do that by myself? And I didn't really have a good answer because I didn't really know. But now I, I fully understand it's because through that program, yeah, you can do all that kind of stuff by yourself. But the scouting program specifically is designed to teach young boys how to become men and, and, and good citizens and, and, you know, faithful men that, that you want society to be built around. Um, and, and that's not really, cause if, if you talk to anyone, like what, what, a, what Boy Scouts is, they're, they're not going to tell you anything like that for the most part. You know, if you just ask some like stranger on the street, uh, I mean, they're going to treat it like daycare. Yeah, and, basically. And, and like, you know, to an extent, that's how some parents I remember treated it. They had, mm-hmm. you know, like my parents were very active with my troop. They yeah, were very active. I mean, they they did great. My my dad, so they actually made us, you know, actual arrows of light for arrow of light ceremony. My yeah. dad, yeah, I don't think actually, what, that's what we did too. I don't think uh, I, I don't I don't think I've I don't think some of my friends know this who were in my Cub Scout troop. But my dad actually made most of the arrows for the kids because their fathers didn't even show up for it. Yeah. And that was another situation where my dad was like, you know, your kid's about to achieve something that actually like work actually has to go into it. Like, you know, it's not as glamorous as sports in some cases where they get trophies and you get to see them kick ass on the field. But like real work has to go into this. So I I just remember like him eventually telling me this a few years later after we had moved. Obviously, there was no Facebook or anything at the time. And he's like, yeah, I just don't understand why 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 they didn't at least, uh, you know, see the care that their own children put into it. But it's like, you know, it's one of those few things where it's one of the few only, and, and, you know, this sounds antiquated by now, but it's one of the few male fraternities out there that are still seen as socially acceptable. And it's not even really that anymore because now frats have a bad reputation, which in some cases is rightfully earned. Uh, you know, Freemasonry in the United States, it still has a stigma to it and it's on the decline. No one does odd fellows. Men don't really join clubs like they used to. And if they're doing it, they're doing it later in life. And for many reasons, it's because we have careers. It's because we have families. It's because we have other stuff. But there, there's a reason why, you know, like like one of the weird things I, that I heard on the Art of Manliness podcast is that if you ask men between the ages of 25 and 40, how many friends do you have? There's a large percent of them, like I think almost like 20% that say, I have no friends. And it's really strange. And then you ask them, it's like, when was the last time you did something with a small group of men? And that slowly goes away. And, yeah. and I, I, I kind of understand that. It's like dating. People think that dating is harder the older you get. I haven't had to worry about that for six years. But like, <laughs> I, it's hard. I really haven't either. So yeah, like, like you know, I so I so I laugh at these people. Yeah. But like, you know, I, I understand how the older you get in some cases, it's harder to make like actual platonic friendships between men and women. So that it's it's you know it's one of those things I understand. But it's like a Boy Scouts. It, it taught me that you know. Friendship is good, but to actually create shared experiences is better because the people I really consider my friends are the people I I work on projects with, the people that I have genuine shared experiences with that are different in a way. Not just shared experiences either, but a a shared uh, value set 
too, because that that is something where like I think I think that specifically is is one thing that really separates it from like sports, for example, because you can have shared experiences with you know someone that you grew up with in 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 high school or something like that. But to have that and also have a, a shared value set, that's that's relatively rare when you when you think about it, to have a group of of peers that uh, that check off both of those boxes. And it's a good feeling like you, you feel supported, you feel encouraged, you feel like you can do these things. You, you have this network um, and, and really that's what it is, is, is a network, you know, before. Uh, before we both, you know, went into the the political sphere where it, networking became like a dirty word or <laughs> or well, became well, kind of corrupted like with, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, with with politics, like I've got people who I can I can name like five people right now who I agree with them everything politically on, and we are a hundred percent on the same page. But they're pieces of shit, and I want nothing to do with them. Yes, like yeah. that's the one thing that where I think a lot of people they tend to confuse it. They're like, well, I'm not going to say anything about that person because we agree on all this politically. It's like it's it's not the same. It's like I was having a conversation of a friend of mine. It's like, you know, I, I she was she she's an anarchist. I will never say anything bad about other anarchists. I'm like, yeah, but like why? It's like what what do you really share other than abstract ideas? Because, you know, we could agree on the same thing, but like, and I'm just exaggerating with this example. It's like if you're going out, you know, committing hit and runs, beating your children and being an overall like, you know, waste of a person. But we agree on everything politically like that doesn't matter. Like, I think people lose track of simple things. And, and or even sound- if it's on like a more interpersonal level, like, yeah, you might agree with them personally, but, you know, they they lie to you all the time or they're they're not very faithful friends or not a very faithful you know spouse or, or significant other or something like that like those things shouldn't be minimized well and, it's like if you say you 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 know you, you want to associate with like trustworthy people it's almost like people are like oh that's so innocent it's like oh that it's 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 like there's there's a lack of wisdom in that it's like, well, you have to understand like people are gonna be different the real world is harsher it's like yeah but that that doesn't make that desire any less and i feel like the older you get especially when you get into you know politics or example or really any professional industry where it gets more and more competitive it's like those things that we're taught in boy scouts such as loyalty you know honor all that stuff it kind of goes yeah. out the door and they're like well this is just how it is and it's like but but does it have to be that way though yeah and that's exactly. not a hard demand yeah exactly it's it's like yeah i i've become much more jaded as I've gotten older, like without question, uh, I don't see the world quite as rosy eyed as I did, you know, even three, four or five years ago, uh, not, not a very long time ago. Um, but those basic things about how, like, yeah, you don't have to let yourself be like that. Like that's, (laughs) you just don't like, you can still be a good person and, Believe it or not, people will actually appreciate it more often than they won't. And the people who won't, you don't want to be with them anyway. You don't want to hang around them anyway. It's it's really it's really not as hard as what a lot of people make it out to be. 
I feel bad almost for Catholics for the same reason. I feel bad, <laughs> I feel bad for, yeah, this, this, this is about to go that direction. I feel bad for them almost as much as I feel bad for Boy Scouts yeah. because it's like, you know, it's like with, with, with anyone who seems holier than thou, because we see these people and because they're talking about things that are difficult to do and they seem to be, you know, you know, put, putting their ducks in a row, when they fall or they screw up, people love to shit on them. Mm-hmm. It's like saying, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not Catholic, but I make fun of my Catholic friends. It's like, you know, it's like saying the entire Catholic church is bad because of a couple, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say a couple, I'll get in trouble for that, because of a large number of Catholic priests who did something absolutely despicable. I think yeah. they should be judged for like the last couple of inquisitions, but that's another thing. <laughs> I was about to say the exact same thing. <laughs> but, but it's like with Boy Scouts, it's like, are we really going to attack an entire attack and defame and make fun of an entire organization because of what some individual scoutmasters did. Now going into like the sexual abuse stuff, like I don't want to dwell on that too much. Like, yeah, there, there were some systemic issues where big, you know, national uh, BSA was like, we're, we're going to push the suits away or we're going to make them sign NDAs and give them cash. I'm not ignoring that at all. But it's almost like, you know, one of the situations where it's like, oh, well, we don't we don't like this. And now we found an excuse really not to like it. Let's burn the whole thing down. And, and I think that's really sad because, I mean, BSA, Boy Scouts of America, like they've made some decisions that I'm not cool with. And, you know, it's like the, the market is awesome. If you want something a lot more disciplined that parallels the military, you've got like, you know, Jay Rotsy, if your high school provided it, mine didn't. So I did Civil Air Patrol, which I found more convenient. There's Trail Life USA, which is literally like Boy Scouts 20 years ago. There, there's other type of stuff out there. Awanas, if you want something more, you know, like religious. But yeah. like with, with Boy Scouts, it, it's one of those things where it's like it, it bothers me that it no longer holds the respect it did when we were growing up because we know how it benefited us. And it's not that we want to defend the bad actions of others. It's that we want younger boys to enjoy the experiences and gain the lessons and insights that we did because it made us better. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I actually think that this lens, like one, one of its stronger aspects is how kind of, decentralized uh the scouting program is by and large it's like every troop is pretty much its own entity like they do kind of exist in this larger confederation but it, it allows each individual troop to once you find that right troop it, it does allow you to kind of like tune out the the noise and just just go at it and do do things uh the way that that it's supposed to be. Um, and, and fortunately that that's pretty much the way, um, that's pretty much the way that mine was. Uh, and you know, I was like thoroughly involved in, in well beyond in the scouting program, well beyond just my own troop. Um, like Order of the arrow, I went all the way through that. Oh, wow. uh, as, was that as the well. thing, is it, was that the thing where you have to stay up for like 48 hours and keep a campfire going? Uh, yeah, uh, well, not, not that long, but yes, uh, there for the, for the vigil on that. And that was also one of the most rewarding experiences that, uh, I had in my, in my youth. Um, but, uh, but still just like the, the, my troop was, was really, really interconnected. 
And at times it, it set us back sometimes because that disconnect from, from the rest of the scouting world did, did have a few negative consequences, but by and large, it was almost entirely positive. Um, and I, I hope that, you know, for whenever I have kids, I can find some, some truth that's even remotely close to that. I don't, and this is what kind of saddens me. Like, I don't think I would allow my kid to go into Boy Scouts specifically now because, and, and I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way, but I'm just going to say it directly. I have, I, I am opposed to allowing girls in the Boy Scouts and no, I, I, I know it. I, I know yeah. like totally where you're getting at. Yeah. Um, and it has nothing to do with, I don't, I, you know, I think we should segregate the genders if they wanted to just become like scouts of America and it's, you know, it, it, it's co-ed. I'm cool with that. I, I have a problem with it being boy scouts of America and you can allow girls in, but you know, you don't allow boys in the Girl Scouts of America. And then it just confuses it because what you're doing is um, you're, you're, you're creating a system in which you're going to build an antagonistic nature amongst the two. And it's only going to lead to internal problems. And I'm not just saying this is an accusation. It's because I've seen a lot of this happen with, you know, some some more of my progressive friends that had their daughters going to Boy Scouts. And for one example, I remember in Texas when I was a Boy Scout of a mother who wanted uh, her son to be part of Girl Scouts only because she didn't want to have to drive 10 minutes away on the same night to drop him off at the Boy Scouts meeting. So she was like, why, why would I do that when he could just do this? It's fine. It's acceptable now. And, and, my, and my reason apart from that is like, you know, there, there's something about being amongst your own in a way, which is going to bring out different parts of you than if you're surrounded by women. Because I, be, I believe still that men and women are different and those differences are good and it's good to understand what those differences are so you can in turn discover more of who you are. And when you try and blur that line a bit, um, it, it, you know, I, I think a part of yourself is being shunted. Yeah. No, I think it's I, good for the development of children. I, I actually completely agree with that. Um, one thing that, that really, concerns me uh with what's with what's kind of going on in the world right now is just the way culture and society is kind of almost making it un, unacceptable or, or or not as tolerable to just let men be pals with other guys <laughs> and and know how to interact with other uh, with other men and especially I, I, it bugs at that me. young of an age like yeah. like no, they like have I, school I have they have all this. these different extracurriculars like like yeah. guy like boys that age need a space to where they can just kind of like let loose and and be amongst people who are like themselves and know how to interact with with yeah. other men like themselves Th- that's why the whole like make Bucky and Captain America a couple yes. thing bugs yes. the shit about me because people, yes. people with that and that like my, like, I'm sorry. I almost cut you off earlier. Like my, my mind was just fucking on fire because it's like this idea that men can have a deep friendship automatically goes to that for many people, especially the woke crowd. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, that's, that's, that's serious friendship. It's and different. It, 
And I really think that's, that's really damaging. I really think it's damaging to just disregard any potential for, um, for a deep, deep friendship. Um, because I have very close friendships with a lot of guys. Uh, and, and by, that is going to continue, you know, that nothing in society today is necessarily going to like stop that from continuing. But I am concerned with how like confused all of these different societal signals that is going to be uh, inflicted on, on, on younger people and, and new generations, how confusing that's going to be for their development going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those situations where it's like, oh, well, you know, if you want uh, if you want to make sure and my biggest thing was like, you know, boys going through puberty should not be surrounded by girls going through puberty. That's another thing. <laughs> nothing nothing <laughs> yeah. good will freaking come yeah. through that. And, and it's yeah. like, you know, as as a soldier, that was one of those things that definitely occurred. And it, it always followed the same track. One one soldier gets a little bit too infatuated with another soldier and something bad happens. It almost happened on repeat. And I, I remember I, when, when I was a second lieutenant, we were at our annual training and they, they put us in the, in these two barracks and the female barracks, which was only confined to um, one floor. They actually happened to have air conditioning. Am I saying they did that on purpose? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that they, all the women, all the female soldiers got air conditioning and all the men were in the other barracks that didn't have it. So at one point um, they put one, uh, you know, uh, one, a few, a few, uh, a few elements of soldiers in, I'm sorry, a few squads of soldiers in the bottom floor that had air conditioning and they only filled up like half that floor. So something happened and all the female soldiers who were on the first floor, the first floor air conditioning broke. So what our battalion commander asked them to do was to fill the bunks on the bottom floor with the male soldiers because at least on that floor they had air conditioning and the rest of us were like that's not gonna work out well and it's like no we're going towards this it's a more inclusive army uh, they're fellow soldiers i shit you not within within like a day we had multiple sharp violations sexual harassment rape prevention uh we had multiple violations committed against multiple women by one single male soldier and immediately it was like nope go back up uh you're a soldier you don't need air conditioning and quickly everything else just went out the window and am i am i saying that we should have expected that am i saying that anyone was asking for it absolutely not but it it, it goes down to like you know, if you're afraid of that happening, there's probably a reason why. And, it, you know, it, it got even more uncomfortable for me, especially my first year in, in 2013, 2014, because that was when they're like, well, why can't women serve on the front lines? It's like, okay, you go ahead and say that, you know, all this stuff is rampant in the military and you go ahead and say it's rampant on college campuses. Do you really want a bunch of female soldiers in a fob in a combat zone with a bunch of men? You don't have access to the internet or something. <laughs> like, I, my thing, it's like, you know, yeah. as, as a, as a leader, you're like risk mitigation. 
That is risk mitigation, and it's not to the slight of female soldiers. Enough of them serve in combat arms, and like people don't realize it. They're in the armor. They're in the artillery. They're in the MPs who are going out on, on, on forward patrols and stuff like that. Like just because they're not like you know bayoneting people when you and I were in, we weren't we weren't using bayonets. But it's like no. just because they're not like there doesn't mean it's because we think they're less capable. It's because when you need men in that position, you don't want people that are diplomats. You want people that can kill. And and that and that's where you know it taking it back to like scouting and stuff like that. It's like you you, you need to eliminate that unnecessary distraction. And it's not to confuse anything else or to justify bad behaviors or something, but it's just how we are. If you had me without a cell phone in sixth grade in a campsite with a bunch of girls nearby, I can tell you that we wouldn't have gotten our shit done. No, no, no. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's kind of like obviously, you know, the way individual cases uh, turn out, like if, if someone grew up in, in that kind of environment and they turned out very, you know, very normal or something like that, that I'm not, you know, downplaying that whatsoever. Uh, and I think that's great, but it's kind of similar to how like, yeah, a, a single mother can do a lot of the great things that a dad can do as well. That doesn't take away the need for a, a strong father figure. And in the same way that, like, in, in scouting, boys need to learn how to become men. And the best way they can do that is by observing other men and interacting with other men. And and that's, like, if, if you want to have another program that's that's somewhat co-op or something like that, I, I'm not entirely against that. And, and there's even been some, like, iterations of that within the scouting program itself. I do feel bad for girls that all they have uh, for an option is Girl Scouts because that's... Don't that's, feel bad. No, don't feel bad for them because you know what they get to sell? They get to sell the fucking cookies. Do you remember having true. to sell popcorn? I do. Do you remember yeah. being like, do you want to buy some popcorn? And they're like, no, I'd rather buy Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, that's, that's the They've biggest... They've got the monopoly uh, on that. They do have the monopoly on, on fundraising. I will, I will give them that. <laughs> Um, but otherwise every girl that I've ever talked to that, that went through like some sort of girl scouting program, (laughs) they're all like, this sucks. Can we join the boy scouts? So I, I can't like, I don't fault them for that. It, but there, there does need to be something where even if you do like bring it together, there does need to be a place to where boys can learn to be men. And, and that has to be a, a priority for an organization like the Boy Scouts. Yeah, and I mean, it was, it, it was one of those situations where it's like with Civil Air Patrol, Civil Air Patrol was co-op, and, um, you know, it was fine, except a lot of male cadets would get in trouble for doing things that if they did in Boy Scouts, they wouldn't get in trouble for. It's like, you know, guys, we dunk on each other more than women do. If I call my friend a pussy because he's doing something wrong in Boy Scouts, we all just called him a pussy, and then he would say something back, and we laugh, and we move on to the next thing. If you were a cadet, and I remember this happened to one of my friends, he called one of our other male friends a pussy. And, you know, the female cadet near us was like, how dare you say that? Can't you see I'm right here? And even though, you know, he was like, well, you know, what well, you know what I meant. He, she was like, he's using a derogatory term. And it's like, one, this had nothing to do with you. 
Secondly, it's like, that's just how guys are. Maybe he should have figured that out. Maybe she was too sensitive. I knew plenty of women who were like, yeah, that guy's a pussy. Like, you know, they, 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 they were more masculine in that sense. Maybe it's because they understood boys better. But it was also one of those situations where even at a young age, I, I found myself kind of holding back in certain situations. And, and in the Army, like th- this was one thing. This happened at my uh, advance camp at Fort Knox. There, we had just gone through everything. And my, my platoon actually had more women than anyone else in the regiment at the time. So we finished all our training. We're back in the barracks. We're cleaning our gear for a couple of days, getting ready for the ceremony and go home. And we're in the line for chow. And I was like 19, 20 at the time. No, I was, I was 19. I was, I was 19 or 20. And this one guy, he, he, was a, he was prior enlisted. He served in Iraq and everything. Really gave no fuck. He was a cool dude to learn from. He, he leans back and he's like, Martinez, you know, you know what I want when I get home? And I'm like, what? And he's like, I really want pussy. And I looked at him and I'm like, ha ha, it's funny. And then we got our food. There was a female soldier behind me who, for the most part, I thought I got along with perfectly fine. She goes to one of our NCO raiders and said, Martinez and -and so-and-so were saying sexually explicit things about women. What I said in that situation is all we said. Because that's all he said. And all I did was laugh back. Yeah. So, it, you know, they pull us aside. And in a situation like that, these days, you're probably going to fail your course. And then, like, when you get back to your school, because it was part of ROTC, you're probably going to be fucked. Yeah. It took two of our other female soldiers who were in line with us to back me and the other guy up. At one point, we're staying in front of a couple of our NCOs, and the dude who said it was like, Martinez didn't even say anything. He just <laughs> left. He didn't say shit. But it, it took those other women to defend us for them to be like, okay, you guys can go. And then they disciplined her for being too sensitive or some shit like that. It, it was one of the situations where it's like, you know, some of the best soldiers I ever met were women. I think women have earned a place in the military. Do I still have some qualms about certain things? Absolutely. But for the most part, a soldier is a soldier. But it's also one of those situations where we can't say that certain problems exist now that didn't exist earlier. And we have to question whether or not those challenges are worth what we think is the benefit. You know, I, I, I think part I think part of that problem is because we we confuse offering an equality of opportunity, which we should all support, you know, in, in, in whatever way or fashion that it comes, um, versus presuming that everyone is the same, which is nonsense. It like how literally how could that be possible? It's not no, nobody, I am not the same from you but we have more similarities than people who are biologically different than, than us. And you can't just deny those things. You can, you can still want like women or, or whoever, you know, whatever group, you know, you're looking at for, for 
those kind of instances, you can still want the same out, like the same sort of opportunities for, for everyone to, to have. And there is a lot of merit to that. Um, but you just can't, you can't pretend like, Oh, this, uh, this guy over here is the same, uh, has all the same qualities as this like 90 pound woman over here. Like if it, it, it doesn't matter if it's in the military or in the scouts, like you're not going to have a happy result, uh, from, from that mentality. You have to acknowledge those differences in order to be able to move forward to maximize the opportunity that you have. I think in like the military, for example, and I think because of officers primarily and because of the stigma that's been applied onto the military by the media, what nobody realized is that within the with within the army specifically as a branch, more women were against a lot of these new gender equality initiatives than men were. And I'll, I'll never yeah. forget giving one of the first uh, briefings when we had to deal with our new um, transgender policies. And me and a few other lieutenants played like, you know, um, pull a short straw in order to do the brief because nobody <laughs> wanted to do it. And it was the female enlisted soldiers that almost caused a freaking mutiny. They're mm-hmm. like, I'm not sharing a barracks or a shower with a person with a penis. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you know, you're just a bigot, obviously. It's like, okay, well, does does their opinion not matter now? Are they not inclusive? Like, it, it got to the point where it's like, we need to understand the intentions of the, some things. I've been using the military as, as an example for a lot of this because it's one of those few areas where it's like, people need to understand. It's like, differences exist and some things are truthful. And at the end of the day, you don't want a military that's worried about making people feel comfortable. You need a military that's effective at what it's doing. And I, I say that for many other roles. It's like, you would not want male nuns if you were Catholic in the nunnery or whatever they call it, you just, that would not, it, if you think the Catholic church has jokes now, wait till that freaking happens. But it's like with, with boy scouts and girl scouts, it's like, give them a time to at least feel safe amongst those who will understand them in a level that other people won't because those differences exist because time is going to move very fast. And we're both in our late twenties scouting feels a million years ago. But at the same time, it's like I miss those days and I know I'm never getting those back, really, because when you get into the real world, you're going to have to deal with all types of people and you're going to have to work with women and you're going to have to learn how to make the best out of worse situations. I'm not saying working with women is terrible. My, all my colleagues right, at work right, are women right, and right. I love them. They're awesome. But at the same time, it's like there, there's there's those little things that go missing after a while that you look back at and you're like that at least I had that opportunity to teach yeah. me those things. Yeah. And especially at, at that age in particular, um, there, there's a lot to be said about just teaching a, a boy how how to act and how to behave because like, I feel like a, a good example where it's kind of like commingled is, is at that age is something like, uh, like church camp or something where we all know how, how 
something like that can go down. Oh, Rhonda's uh, giving Jimmy a hand job by the yeah, first like, time. like it, and and even like just a lot of the drama that can get you know started up just because it's a different group of people, and it's 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 good to allow like young men to figure out how to behave when when they're uh, amongst uh, amongst their peers, as opposed to making a really bad mistake when they're with someone that they may have said something that's or or done something that is really wrong it's better it's better to do it whenever you're among people who are like you than not yeah i mean i will i i I, I'm pretty sure I've said some pretty horrible things in front of like female colleagues, but like the one thing I know not to do is call someone a pussy around a woman because that, that part is disrespectful. Yeah. But you know, it's like it circumstances matter. Context matters. If I said that amongst a group of men, it's absolutely appropriate. It's funny. We understand it. If I say it in a, if I say it right next to the photocopier, it's like, ah, oh, did you see? You didn't want to do that. What a pussy that, 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 that's grads for an HR complaint. But, you know, at least of that, it, it's one of those things where it's like what, what I hope Boy Scouts or whatever iteration comes and becomes more dominant does is it reminds people that, you know, there's a part in every person's life where you're going to be challenged. But at least Boy Scouts and scouting as a whole offers that challenge in a controlled environment where yeah. it's going to be okay to fail because the consequences aren't real. The consequences are learned, but the consequences aren't real. Yes. And yes, that, that's exactly. the one thing I really hope that, you know, pe- people understand. And I mean, there's, it's one of the few things that where I'll say like, other than the military now, there's no more like crucibles for men. Like maybe if you're Jewish, you do the whole thing when you get bar mitzvah and stuff and like different cultures have that, but that, that's what really bothers me now because it's like in the United States, you, you, you get born, you go to school, you graduate from high school, and maybe that's your first big crucible. But then again, it's like, who, who the fuck is challenged? From yeah, the, the social institutions that have been so integral, not, not just to, you know, our lives, but just like American society as a whole, um, are, are kind of just deteriorating. And it's it's really sad to see, um, you know, when I was younger, right, I had no idea what adults were talking about whenever they would say the things that I'm saying right now, like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but now I, I fully understand it. You know, now it's it's really heartbreaking because there's there's no place where men can just go and, and, and hang out or at least, you know, no place that's really thriving in which in which they can do that. Um, and I don't know about, you know, women in, in that capacity, but I, I presume it's kind of a similar situation there because the, the lines have been blurred so much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to, to leave things on kind of like a more positive note, I, I do think that as people begin to see what's going on, especially in a post COVID world where we're beginning to really realize that, you know, interrelationships matter and stuff. 
I, I'm, I'm worried less about the institution. I'm more worried more about the practices, but I am optimistic because I see more people wanting to go out and like do like, you know, professional adult intramurals and stuff like that. Like, even though yeah. I think it's kind of dumb, like I'm, I'm happy that so-and-so is doing flag football on Saturdays because he feels like he's part of something or men are starting to do more, more things like that. Like it, it's better, it, it's better to have that than not because you know, and, and we saw this through everything else. It's like at the end of the day, a lot of people in 2020 lacked good firm relationships. They felt like they didn't have that. They didn't feel community. And as we begin to develop community through identity politics and through a lot of things, what I'm hoping is that people at least can build communities based off shared beliefs and interests that bring out the best in each other. And if, if I, you know, if I'm, if I end up having a son I, I want him to experience that, not to have the exact same experience I had, but to at least be put in an environment where he or she can, you know, develop their own because mm-hmm. it matters. And I, I think now, especially for those of us that went through this, it, it has more of a burden on us to really try and communicate that now than ever before. Yeah, I, I, I think that... Um the like our generation's kids are going to be a, a really uh, kind of a watershed moment for, for the direction of, of the way things will forever be uh, in the future to, to get really, uh, <laughs> to get really uh, philosophical and sociological. We can't treat them it. like the boomers. Um, I think we also have to. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I completely <laughs> agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't be we can't be the boomers even even if I do have certain uh, even if I am starting to uh, they need a certain yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they need a little bit of early childhood trauma. they need a little bit of like what is wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> and just sprinkled in their mix uh, and and you know I think there's there is something to be said about that maybe not that specifically but you know something. Um, but to kind of to bring it way back around uh, to the very beginning of this conversation, um, that was one of the things that one of my favorite episodes that I have done for this new program that I'm doing, Profiles in Liberty, is one that was uh, released, the, the third episode that was uh, just recently released um, on, on Benjamin Franklin. Uh, inventing the the American society and the American identity. I thought he invented electricity. Right. Yes. He, <laughs> he, he invented the concept of electricity. Electricity didn't exist before him. Um, no, but uh, but but like a lot of if 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 you know you know anything about that time period, there were there were a lot of like societies popping up left and right and all over the place. Uh, that just doesn't happen now. Uh, it, it like it, you can't go down the block and just like join a local club or something like that um, because it's it's not nearly as much of a staple on our society as much as it is today. And even if you can do that, it's not nearly as involved as what they were back then. And and he introduced those things at that time, and and it became so influential in in that society because he knew that that's where uh, to have it a, a a really involved and and uh, a really learned community 
who can have a stake in the concept of, of liberty, to have a stake in the concept of their own freedom. That's going to be the only way that you can truly preserve this idea of freedom in a society, to keep a free society, is if you, if you get people to want it, to get people to, to have a stake in it and not just think that, oh, these problems are, are, that we're dealing with are just these inevitable things that we can't possibly hope to solve because all, all of it's happening so many miles away in Washington, D.C., um, and, and those building blocks start in your own local community and, and a program like scouting is, is certainly, uh, certainly can be, can be included in that. Um, and, and really trying to rebuild those, those institutions and societies to get people to really feel like they're, they're interconnected with their community um, it it kind of that that episode making that in particular really made me reevaluate how I looked at the very idea of liberty. It's a very sh- it's a very stark contrast from like the kind of Ayn Randian hyper individualistic. Whereas individualism is still super important, and in this way of looking at it. It also yeah, individualism and alienation are two different things. Very different. I things. feel like yeah. like some people think they're mutually exclusive. Yeah, yeah, very, very different things. And like this, the the society that Benjamin Franklin would invent is it puts the individual at, at the focus. It's it's like how can we best secure the rights of the the humanity of the, of the person, but the best way to do that is to get them involved and to get them to have a stake in, in their community. So that way they can understand all of these things um, instead of, instead of just kind of going off and being a hermit uh, and saying, leave me alone. As much as I have those tendencies, as much as anyone else uh, that, you know, those, those community interactions are also really important. Um, and, and if we want to have a really secure future for posterity and for for liberty, that's going to have to be the way that we look at it. Yeah, I I absolutely 100% agree. I couldn't have said that better. You know, one of my favorite video games is Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's one of the most philosophical video games ever done. People <laughs> may argue with that, but I, I believe that. There's one quote in there where the main character's going to this old hermit, and he's about to shoot him, and he's like, hey, man, put your gun down. We may die alone, but we live amongst men. And it's one of those things I think even libertarians, the most like individualistic amongst us, needs to remember. It's like, you know, we can make our own lives better, but we have to, you know, facilitate the environment for people to have that and for people to feel comfortable to do so. Well, I mean, it only makes sense because, like, you can, you can rail about wanting to live your life the way that you want to live it all the live long day, but until the rest of the people around you understand why that's important, then they won't, (laughs) they won't adhere to it. So you have to be involved in some capacity, if nothing else, to cultivate that, that community of liberty, um, in, in your own, in your own community. And, and I think that COVID is really going to kind of help push that forward a little bit because now people are moving out of cities into smaller towns uh, or into smaller cities to where those kind of things, they're, they're starting to become possible again. So whether or not we'll actually go forward with it is yet to be seen. But 
um, there's a, at least a little bit of hope with that. Absolutely. Caleb, if people want to go ahead and check out your new show, Profiles in Liberty, how could they do so? Yeah, so uh, Profiles in Liberty is the latest program on the We Are Libertarians podcasting network. Uh, you can go and check it out. Um, it's on every Thursday. Uh, and we're about halfway through the season, season one right now. Um, it, we're going to keep going until um, middle of August. It's eight episodes long each season, and um, I'm gearing up to, to get ready to start writing the scripts for season two here soon. So um, stick around and, and listen to them and, and uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts uh, from. Uh, give us a, a rating and a review, and I would be... So, so happy uh, if you would do that um, and just uh, check us out every Thursday. Awesome stuff, man. Well, folks, I'm going to go ahead and link to Profiles in Liberty in the show notes today as well as everywhere you can go ahead and harass Caleb online. As always, please, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me, a five-star rating and review. Anywhere you're listening to the show across Al Gore's amazing internet, I'm Rumsha W. Martinez. Be safe, be good, good night, and I'll talk to you later.